they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, January the 20th, 2023. It's amazing how the years go faster and faster as I get older. <laughs> I have a brother. He's, he's 10 and a half months younger than I am, and he's, he says, uh, I, said, I said to him one time, I said, time flies when you're having a good time. And he said, yeah, time used to fly when I was having a good time. Now it just flies. <laughs> so, so we'll start with the Angelus. It's 12 o'clock. So in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now and at the hour of our death, amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Pray for us, O most holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray, pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord, amen. And we ask the angels to join us here. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth. Pleni sunt celia terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine domini, Hosanna in excelsis. So, um, can we hide from God? A lot of people think they can. We've surrounded ourselves in our society with noise. I remember um, when I was a young woman, and I lived in Linwood, California, and there was a hospital close to us, St. Francis Hospital, a Catholic hospital. And the chaplain there was Father John McKenna, God have mercy on his soul. Father McKenna, um, when he was working as the chaplain, at some point, the hospital decided that they were going to have piped-in music. And Father McKenna talked about this in his sermon in the chapel. We want to surround ourselves with noise to drown out the voice of God. So, you know, sometimes we're hiding from God in plain sight, but we're hiding from him behind the things that we're doing. It can be our activity, by the way. You know, Bishop Sheen, I mentioned um, on the end of the Terry and Jesse show there, Bishop Sheen said, you know, in our society, we have too many go-go's and not enough come-comes. Remember when Jesus first calls his apostles, he doesn't say go, he says come. And he has them with him and he teaches them. And they begin to know him and understand his teaching. And it, it, they're with him for a couple of years, perhaps, before he sends them out on mission. So first it's come. Come and sit with the Lord and learn from him in silence, in meditation, and put aside the things of this world. So what scripture are we going to use today to talk about all this? Well, I actually want to go to the 
letter to the Hebrews, whom I have, I believe, from what I've read and what I've studied, that St. Paul did write this letter. And is it different from his other letters? Yeah, he's writing to the Hebrews. And it's not, he doesn't introduce himself. He doesn't, he's writing a, a treatise to show that Jesus Christ is the high priest, that all of the Old Testament priesthood prefigured, that all the promises that the, the Old Testament covenant is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the high priest, who offers the true sacrifice, the one sacrifice that never has to be repeated, but is a perpetual sacrifice that never ends because he is God and man. So the letter to the Hebrews, and in chapter four of Hebrews, we read something very, very interesting. And starting in verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest that no one fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, no creature is hidden, but all are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do the word of the Lord. So we have this reading and Paul is telling us that the word of God is living and active. And another translation of that is effective. It has its effect. The word of God is so powerful that it will have its effect on us. And again, at the beginning there, he says, let us therefore strive to enter the rest that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And last week I talked about Hebrews 3, where God said, therefore I swore in my anger they shall not enter into my rest, that the Old Testament people who left Egypt never entered the promised land, with the exception of Joshua and his family and Caleb and his family. But all of the generation that left Egypt died in the desert. It was their children who entered the land because they were disobedient to God. They never got to enter the promised land. And so we have this reminder that in order to enter into his rest, and, and, and Paul makes it very clear there, that, that no one fall by the same sort of disobedience. You know, we have this idea in the world that somehow God is so merciful that sin just doesn't bother him. Well, I don't think that's a true biblical view of the Lord. The Lord was very, very adamant about the fact, you know, when, when Jesus came to preach the gospel, what does he say? Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent, give up the sins. John comes first preaching a gospel of repentance. You need to give up your sins because the one who was promised is here. He's at hand. He's coming. And in order to prayer, prayer for that, give up your sins. And you think you can hide it from God. You think you can, you know, oh, God doesn't see or he doesn't care. And that's, that's the big thing in our world. It's like, well, he doesn't really care. It doesn't really mean that much to him. I, I think that when we think it doesn't mean that much to God, we don't take a long, hard look in silence at the cross. Look at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You think it doesn't matter to God? 
the cross, and this isn't, I, I quote here from a priest of the Opus Angelorum, the cross is the greatest manifestation, is the greatest proof, the greatest proof that there is a hell. Because if there wasn't something very terrible and very real that God was trying to save us from, why would his son have gone through all of that? It's also the greatest manifestation of the love of heaven. There he is on the cross as the eternal priest, hands outstretched, pouring forth the love and mercy of God that is open to everyone. But does everyone receive that mercy? God gave us all free will. God will not violate our free will. And so the cross, the greatest proof that there's a hell, the greatest manifestation of the love of heaven, and the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ stands forever. I remember once a Protestant woman asked me, I was in the hospital for a long stay when I had an appendicitis that got missed. It didn't get diagnosed, and I ended up with peritonitis and had to be in the hospital for 25 days after my surgery to clear up the peritonitis and the infection. And so I had several roommates, and one of them was the mother of a Lutheran pastor. And she said, why do you Catholics still have Jesus on the cross? He's not on the cross anymore. He's in heaven. And it's, yes, yes, he is in heaven. And I didn't know this at the time. I was 19 years old, but I know it now. Yes, Jesus is in heaven. But you know what? In heaven, he still bears his scars. In heaven, he is the lamb who is slain. He is the lamb. He's standing, but he looks as though he's been slain. He still bears his scars and he makes constant intercession for sinners. In heaven, he is the victim who immolated himself, who still for all eternity offers that act of immolated love. He offers himself as the victim to the father, not in a bloody manner, but in his risen, ascended, glorified state. And by the way, this is what Catholics believe about the mass who know the mass is not re-crucifying Christ. Jesus through the action of the priest, offers himself in an unbloody manner sacramentally to the Father. The victim who immolated himself is still offering himself to the Father. The lamb who was slain still bears his scars and still offers his scars to the Father on behalf of sinners to bring us to repentance and to give us forgiveness. But we can't have that forgiveness if we don't humble ourselves before God and ask for forgiveness. We need to ask So what is this two-edged sword that he's talking about? For the word of God is living and active. Now, it's interesting because in the Greek, it says logos. Now, logos can be translated verbum, which means that it refers to the second person of the Blessed Trinity who became incarnate. Or logos can be translated sermon, which means the spoken word. The preach, it means the scriptures and the, and the spoken word of God. So what do we have here? Well, Jesus is the eternal logos. He's the single word of self-knowledge that the Father speaks. He only speaks one word, and that's his son. And his son becomes man. And I hear the music. So we're going to have to take a break. So we're going to talk more about the logos on the other side of this. And what does it mean that the logos is a two-edged sword. Don't go away. We'll be back. Tell your family and friends to join us. Get us on the app and uh, enjoy. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, January the 20th, 2023. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for all the radio stations that do pick up our signals. And um, thank you to um, the people who listen, the people who've gotten the app, the people who listen on Rumble and on Facebook, and who share it with their family and friends. Please do share it. And also thank you for our supporters. There are a lot of people out there supporting us, not only with their material support, which is absolutely vital because we can't pay the bills without the material support, but also with their spiritual support of praying for us and offering their sacrifices for us. So thank you. We owe a debt of gratitude to everyone, but again, Owe no debt to anyone except the debt that binds us to love one another. And this is what we're trying to do here is to love one another. And as Terry and Jesse spoke about on their show, love without truth is not love. Okay. Tolerance without truth is not, you're not tolerating. You're, you're, what you're doing is making excuses for people to not have to give up their sins. We love each other into the truth. And this is what we need to do. The truth is a person. Remember the second person, of the blessed Trinity. I am the way, the truth and the life, Jesus says. So we need to love one another into the truth, to, to introduce one another to Jesus Christ and then allow him to work in and through us to accomplish his work. So we're talking about Hebrews, Hebrews chapter four, verse 11, 12, 13. So the word of God being living and effective. And again, the word of God, some commentators have understood this as being the second person of the Blessed Trinity himself incarnate. And others mean the words of God, as in the scriptures, the promises, the menaces of God, either foretold by the prophets or preached by the apostles. So the Hebrews understood this. Remember, this letter is to the Hebrews. That's why it's so different than anything else that Paul ever wrote. He wrote this to the Hebrews. He's not writing this to Gentile converts. He's writing, and he's writing it to Hebrews so that they understand Jesus Christ really fulfills all of the Old Testament promises, everything that was before, okay? It's interesting. They point out here, in their sacrifices, the Levites made use of a two-edged knife to separate from the victim what was for God and what was for the priests and what was for the people. Thus, in sacrificing sinners to the justice of God, Jesus Christ, like a two-edged knife, will separate what is for God and what is for man, whatever is good or evil in the whole of man's conduct. So Jesus Christ, that two-edged sword, he's separating, and again, what does it say? Bone and marrow. First he says, spirit and soul. And I, I looked up the St. Thomas Aquinas' commentary on this, and he's, he says, interesting, he says, why spirit and soul? Why would he separate them? And he said, again, we, our soul, according to, uh, our, uh, according to the Apostle Paul, we are composed of body, soul, and spirit. All right? He says this in one of his letters. Man is composed of body, soul, and spirit. Well, what do you mean, body, soul, and spirit? I thought we were soul and body. Well, the deal is that our body is obviously the fleshly part of us, but our soul has two parts. We have the soul that animates our body that gives us life. The soul is the animating principle, and that pertains to the body. And then we have the spirit, which is the intellect and the will, which knows the things of God. 
So in a sense, there's that two parts to the soul that the soul, the intellect and will, but there's also the animating principle. But the animating principle of the soul, although the soul is not fleshly, pertains to the fleshly. So the Lord Jesus Christ has to divide us from our own flesh. Why is this? Well, what do we have in our flesh? We have all of these faculties. We have all of these desires. We have all these needs. We need to feed the body. We need to rest. We need to get um, water to drink. The best form of hydration is water, by the way. <laughs> and, and, and there are some things that we drink on a regular basis that aren't hydration at all, and especially in our society, sodas, uh, carbonated sodas, alcohol. These things dehydrate us. And so um, I believe even coffee can be dehydrating. But that's, that's not my point here. My point is we, Christ has to separate us from ourselves. Why? Because of original sin, we find in ourselves, and Paul talks about this, the law of the body that militates against the law of the spirit. Our body and spirit are at war with one another because our body has all of its faculties and every faculty of the body that isn't directed by the intellect to do otherwise will choose its own favorite food regardless of the good of the whole. So you have a body. Your body has all kinds of faculties. It has 11 emotions. It has the needs for sleep, eat, rest, um, uh, clothing, housing. We live in a world. We have to have a place to live. And, and also it has the need to reproduce if the human race is going to continue. And that's why God established marriage, so that mankind can reproduce through the conjugal act, through the conjugal embrace in marriage. And so we have all these desires of the body, and when God made man in the beginning, he gave Adam and Eve certain gifts that didn't belong to them by nature. One of them was the gift of integration. And with the gift of integration, they had this ability to use their intellect to guide all of the faculties of their body with absolute ease. It wasn't a struggle. It wasn't difficult. Remember, it wasn't God who abandoned us. It was we who turned our backs on God. And what did Adam and Eve do as soon as they had sinned? They tried to hide from God. Oh, my word. They covered themselves with fig leaves. They made loincloths, uh, excuse me, the original bikinis. You know, Cherry and Jesse talked about that on their show, too. And they hid from God. And God came into the garden. He said, where are you? Like he didn't know. Oh, I hid from you because I was naked and I was ashamed. Oh, who told you you were naked? God knew, but he wanted to elicit from Adam a confession. And instead, what does Adam do? Oh, it's your fault because you put this woman with me and she tempted me. And the woman's like, well, wait a minute. That's not fair. He's putting it all on me. Oh, I know what I'll do. It was the serpent, Lord. So neither of them take responsibility. But nonetheless, they lost that, lost that gift of integration. So we, their children, are inheritors of a nature that has two parts. <laughs> Our human nature is body and soul. We are an incarnate spirit. But the spirit militates against the flesh because the spirit is trying to lead us to union with God, to choose God above all the created things on this earth. And all the faculties of our body are saying, no, I need this created thing, and I need that created thing, and I need this created thing. I need to be happy, I need happiness. And, and, and so our body is militating against our spirit. 
Does that sound Pauline? Yeah. Paul talks about that too in another letter, doesn't he? (laughs) And so we have this problem. And so Jesus comes as the high priest to separate. The word of God is living and effective. Effective. It's active. It, It will separate us from ourselves, from our own disordered passions that seek after the things that are created and seek only after the things that are created. So we have to retrain our bodies through the use of our intellect, through the use of our spirit, our intellect and will. And we have to retrain our will because number one, concupiscence, the fall, darkened our intellect and weakened our will. So, and this is why the body doesn't see clearly what it's supposed to choose. Integration, a gift, again, was a gift that God didn't owe us. It was a gift. We rejected it. God didn't reject us. We lost that gift. And so we have to struggle against our flesh because our flesh only wants earthly things. And we need to use our intellect and will to discover the true good, to discover the truth and and to choose the truth and to choose the good. And God is the good that we were made for. We were made for God. St. Augustine wrote, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. If we do not rest in God, we will never find happiness. We're not going to find happiness in the pursuit of worldly things. Yes, we need to have food and clothing and shelter, and we need to learn and study, and, but, but we also, and we need to learn about the good things that God made, but we also need to learn about God. And we learn about that in the silence and in prayer primarily and in studying his word, his written word, so that we can come to know his unwritten word, his only son, who reveals the father to us. It's only the son who reveals the father. If we don't know the son, we can't know the father. And if we reject the son, we can't have the father. Very clear in scripture. And so we want to choose, to. we want to allow Jesus into our lives and we want him to work in and through us to accomplish his work which is a work of sacrificing us to the father of allowing ourselves to die in order that Christ might live in us remember Paul says at one point I live now not I but Jesus Christ lives in me I still live my earthly life he goes on to say in case someone might misunderstand him I still live my earthly life, but it is a life of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the promises that he brought that I will have a place in heaven with God for all eternity if I am faithful to the end. Perseverance. We have to persevere. And this is one of the things that the fathers of the church talked about in their commentary here. You know, it's it's like, okay, I come to know Jesus. I'm excited. I know him. I want him to do this work in me. And I'm going to let him do this. I'm going to let him purify me of all my attachments to these worldly things. And, and the more he purifies me, the more attachments I discover I have. And so we get we can get discouraged. We start feeling sorry for ourselves. We're like, oh. This is such a lonely path. Nobody else is taking it. Everybody else is following the way of the world. Why don't I just give up and just surrender to my flesh? Well, if we do that, that promise of entering into his rest will not be ours. We have to persevere. We have to persevere to the end. Okay? <clears throat> it's, it, you know, in 1 Corinthians Paul teaches us because everyone that strives for mastery refrains himself from all things. 
Therefore, one must strive to put off immediate, excuse me, put off impediments. This is, this, this is commentary going on. We have to put off the impediments, not only refraining from all sin, but also avoiding the occasions of sin. I will lead you by the paths of equity from Proverbs 4.11. But we are warned against hurrying. He that is hasty with his feet shall stumble. Proverbs 19.2. And Thomas Aquinas' commentary on that is that, yeah, if we hurry too much in the, in the deliberation, we make a mistake about where we're supposed to go. When are we supposed to hurry? Well, we should take a long time to consider the way we need to follow. We need to follow the Lord in his way. But once we know that, we have to be swift on making that decision. That's where we don't tarry. That's where we don't take time. We want to follow that. Once we know that the Lord is the one we want to follow, we need to follow that decision and give up everything that's been before. Give it all up. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Please share this with your friends and family. Um, Bible with the Barbers is on our is on the app. If you have the app, the free app, you can get on your on your uh, smartphone. You go ahead and get that, and you can listen to Bible with the Barbers. We'll be right back with more. Amen. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call triple eight five two six twenty one fifty one. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you for joining us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, Bible with the Barbers, on Friday, January 20th, 2023. And thank you to the radio stations who do pick up our signals. Um, I know stations of the cross used to, I thought for a while, we're picking up Bible with the Barbers, but I'm not sure. But if you, do, if, if you don't have a local radio station that's picking up the signal, please tell all your friends and family to get the app on your, on your smartphone. And then we do have Rumble. We have Facebook, and we have our own website, virginmostpowerfulradio.org. It's all one word, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. So, yes. So we have to hurry to follow Christ. We have to hurry um, because, first of all, in Christ there are two natures, right? Because God became incarnate. There's the divine nature according to which he is the word of the Father. He's the eternal word of the Father, the one word of perfect knowledge that God speaks. And then he's also human. He takes to himself a human nature, not a, not a human person, a human nature. Okay, so, and then we have, um, as in, in, in his human nature, he is the high priest who offers himself on the cross. In his human nature, he offers himself on the cross as the high priest, right? So, Jesus, the, the, the apostle gives the reason based on the divinity, and then he gives the reason based on humanity. This is why we must hurry. There's both the human nature and the divine nature of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And then he says three things about the authority of the Son of God. And he shows his power in three ways. First, it's nature. Secondly, it's vigor. And thirdly, it's action. Okay? So you have, um, first, by its nature, the Word of God um, is living and effective, and then um, his authority, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and dividing soul and spirit. And then its action. Oh, that's its action. So anyway, I'm, I'm goofing that up. So let me just go on. Um, he says, therefore, the word of God is living. 
So the word of God is living. So we have the logos, the eternal word of God. Yes, he's living. He's living with the father for all eternity. He never left the father's side, even when he became man. But we also have the word of God become man. And the apostle says he's living. Well, yes, he's living because even in his human nature, his human nature didn't stay dead after the crucifixion. He was, he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And so he's still alive, right? So the word that I have spoken, I am the word, your almighty word leapt down from heaven, from the royal throne, wisdom 18, 15. Okay. So you have, you know, the, the word of God, right? And there's also the word sermo, which means spoken word, right? And that, that word is also living. For the word of God conceived from all eternity in the intellect of the Father is the primordial word of which Sirach says, this is from the book of Sirach, chapter 1, verse 5, the word of God on high is the fountain of wisdom. And because it is primordial, all other words are derived from it. <clears throat> the, these words being nothing more than certain conceptions expressed in the angelic mind or ours. Hence, the word is the expression of all words being their font. So the word of God is the expression of all. And remember, read the prologue to the Gospel of John. All things were created through him. All things were created for him. He was with God in the beginning. It's just so profound, so powerful, okay? And what is said of the word is somehow applied to the other words according to their mode. But it is said of the word that it is living. But a thing is called living when it has its own movement and activity. For as a gushing, gushing fountain is living, so too the word has eternal vigor. Forever, O Lord, your word stands firm in heaven. Psalm 118.89 For as the Father has life in himself, so has he given to the Son also to have life in himself. John, the Gospel of John 5.24 Or it can be referred to his human nature, for it is living, although others may regard it as dead, because it rose from the dead. I was dead, and behold, I am living forevermore. Revelations 1, 18. Remember in Revelation when John sees Jesus? Similarly, the word of Scripture is living and unfailing, not as though the word of God has, had miscarried. Romans 9, 6. So then he says that the word of God is active or effectual. That's Paul says that this is the vigor of that. It's effectual. It's vigor. But the word is said to be effectual because of its supreme power and the infinite force it has infinite force, the force of God for all such things were made by it, by the word of the Lord. The heavens were established Psalm 32, six, and then again, refer to the prologue of the gospel of John. All things were made through him. All things were made for him. It is also effectual because all the words uttered by God and delivered by the angels or man draw their efficacy from it. His word is full of power. Ecclesiastes 8, 4. The word which shall go forth shall not return to me void, but shall do whatsoever I please, and I shall 
prosper in the things for which I, and it shall, it shall, the word shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. Isaiah 55, 11. So, and then the word by its action, right? In regards to two things. First, he describes its action and secondly, he explains it. So then Paul is explaining the action and it is more piercing than a two-edged sword. This is the action of the word. It's more piercing than a two-edged sword. But this is said to pierce which enters, that is said to pierce which enters the depths of a thing. But this can take place in two ways. In one way, because it acts on the inmost recesses of a thing, you're, you have wrought all our works for us. Isaiah 26, 12. So Isaiah is saying that it is God who's wrought all our works. He pierces into our inner being. In another way, because it knows the innermost parts of a thing, he needed not that any should give him testimony of man, for he knew what was in man. Remember in the Gospel of John 2.25? Jesus could read our hearts. He still reads our hearts. You can't hide anything from him. Nothing. You can hide nothing from God, right? I will penetrate to all the lower parts of the earth, Sirach 24.43. For God's action and knowledge reach into the inmost parts of a thing. Hence, he says, than any two-edged sword. It pierces more surely than any two-edged sword. For a sword is more penetrating because it is sharp. And this I is especially true of a two-edged sword, which is sharp at both ends. And because the word of God is sharp in its action and its knowledge, it is compared to a two-edged sword. The word of God is compared to a two-edged sword. In, the day of the, in that day, the Lord, with his hard and great and strong sword, shall visit Leviathan, Isaiah 27.1. It is called a two-edged sword in regard to its activity because it is sharp enough to promote good and destroy evil. The sword of the word of God, the second person of the blessed Trinity or his spoken word, his words in scripture can promote good and destroy evil. From his mouth came out a sharp two-edged sword, Revelation 1, 16. Or in regard to its knowledge, and it is said to be more piercing than any two-edged sword, than any human intellect. Any human, he's more piercing than any human intellect which is called two-edged sword because it is open to either part of a conclusion. So our human intellect can be called a two-edged sword because we see an argument and we can say, okay, there's this side and there's this side. Let me consider both sides, right? So I'll consider both sides until it comes to the end of its scrutiny and has fixed its point there, namely in the truth. So yeah, I'll grant you your argument, but I'm going to look at it. Does it weigh true? And I want to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then once I come to the truth, I reject all other arguments. So yeah, our intellect too. But his intellect is far sharper. God is God. He is the source of all intellect. <laughs> For in the ordering of causes, we see that a prior cause works to a greater depth than a subsequent one. Hence, that which nature produces is more profound than that which is produced by art. Therefore, because God is the first cause, his action is produced that which is most inward 
in a thing, namely its being. So this two-edged sword will divide soul and spirit. He manifests what he said above about its action. In regards to this, he does two things. First, he shows that in regard to spiritual things and then in regards to material things. So according to the apostle, there are three things in man. And we talked about this, body, soul, and spirit, right? That you, holy spirit and soul and body, may be preserved blameless in the coming of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 For we know that we know what the body is, but the soul is that which gives life to the body, whereas the spirit in bodily things is something subtle and signifies immaterial substance. Egypt is man and not God, and their horses flesh and not spirit, Isaiah 31.3. So there's a difference between God and man. Therefore, the spirit in us is that by which we are akin to spiritual substances, but the soul is that through which we are akin to brutes. We're akin to them. We are not animals. That's not what he's saying. We're akin to them. We share a body with them. The animals don't have an intellect. So the spirit is the human mind, namely the intellect and will. And we talked about this, okay? So God is there. Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he will use his two-edged sword to divide us from ourselves in order that he might possess us and we want to talk about this divine possession on the other side of the break so don't go away because this is what paul is leading to thank you for joining us please share this with your family and friends and thank you for your support and your prayers we'll be right back Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers. Sorry, we had a little bit of delay there with um, coming back on after the break. Um, but we're back now. So we're talking about the two-edged sword. And the two-edged sword is the word of God, his son first, and then also his word spoken. And, you know, Jesus Christ came. He came to offer himself in sacrifice for us as sinners. He is the high priest. Remember, that's why he took a body to himself, so that he could be the high priest of the new covenant. And we want to allow the word of God to be effective in us to take. And I talked about this earlier, all our attachments to the things of this world. Okay. We think we can hide from God, but no, we can't hide from God. Remember all things are laid open to the, that eye to God's eye and made manifest and clear. You, we have examples in the old Testament, Adam and Eve in the book of, of in the book of Genesis tried to hide from God, you know, uh, Jonah ran away from God. He was going to hide from God because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. And, and, and again, in our modern world, I think we do a lot of hiding from God behind the noise. We fill ourselves with noise. And it's amazing how much time we can waste in front of the computer, in front of the television, in front of, um, with our entertainments. And noise, are, we waste our lives. We dissipate our lives on, on pursuing entertainments, pursuing sports, pursuing temporal things that really have no eternal consequence, but they distract us from God. And why do we want to be distracted from God? Well, we want to believe this gospel that says, oh, well, God's going to get everyone into heaven. He's going to make the choice for us. We don't have to choose. We can live a life of sin, or as Martin Luther said, sin and sin boldly, because 
we're just dunghills covered with snow and God's going to cover us with his grace and the sin is all going to be there. But you know what? He's just going to ignore it and cover it over. That's not the gospel that Jesus Christ preached. That's not the gospel that Hebrews is telling us about. The gospel that Jesus Christ preached is that he will transform us from within, that he has made us for divine union, that God might possess us completely and entirely. I remember I was talking about this in Bible study one night and one of the young people at the Bible study said, you mean divine possession? And it just, it hit me like a ton of bricks because I wasn't using those words. And I said, yes, divine possession. We're seeking that God will possess us. We don't want diabolic possession because that's going to lead to hell for all eternity if we don't break free from it and turn back to God and ask to be delivered. We want God to possess us. God made us for himself. Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. We'll only find true happiness in God. Satan knew when he sinned that he would never have any happiness. He knew that he would be eternally miserable. He knew that through clear and clear. And we, because we have a body and a soul, (laughs) a body, soul, and spirit, we get confused about the true good. And we can choose, and we've talked about this a little earlier in this program, We can choose earthly goods over God, but that's dangerous. We don't want to choose earthly goods over God. We want to choose God first and then submit all earthly things to that choice. St. Ignatius says in his, um, uh, the first foundation and principle of his spiritual exercises, man was created by God to know, love, and serve the Lord his God, and by this means to save his soul. And therefore, man can use the things of this earth insofar as they help him to know, love, and serve the Lord his God. But insofar as they hinder him from knowing, loving, and serving the Lord his God, he should reject them. He's reflecting Hebrews here. The word of God is living and effective if we allow the Lord to do this. And it's a purification process. Yes, it hurts. It's painful. The saints have all suffered. Jesus Christ suffered. Jesus did not come to eradicate human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence. We are not going to have a life free of suffering. And yes, it hurts when God purifies us. As gold in the furnace, he tried them. As sacrificial offerings, he took them to himself. Do you think it doesn't hurt to be a sacrificial offering? But what is the reward? The reward is union with God and not just in heaven. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, nor the heart of man conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. Right here on this earth, we can begin to know that union with God that's called transforming union. It's called mystical marriage. This is what we are called to. This is what Hebrews is referring to, that Jesus will use him, he himself, and he will wield the sword of his word, his spoken word, to, to free us, free us from attachment to sin, free us from attachment to the things of this world that hold us back from allowing God to have full sway in our life, from allowing God to work in and through us to accomplish his goodwill and pleasure. We didn't make ourselves. You know, when you buy something, you want the owner's manual so you can understand how to use it, how you don't break it. If you don't use it according to the owner's manual, you're going to break it. And you can spend a lot of money on things and and waste them if you don't use the owner's manual. Well, 
God made us. We belong to him. His we are. We are his children. And and not as a possession that, you know, I'm going to use you. I'm going to just, you're a dirty rag that I'm going to use and throw aside. And no. Behave like God as his dearly beloved children, scripture tells us. Behave like God as his dearly beloved children. He made us to be his children. He wants us to live in union with him. And by so doing, we will work in union with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit working in us to become a living image of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will reproduce in us the image of Christ. And this is why Paul could say, I live now, not I, but it is Christ who lives in me. Jesus Christ lives in me. So we can't hide from God. Answer to the question for the title of today's show. No, we can't. He sees everything. And you know what's interesting? There's, there are a lot of people who don't understand the sacrament of confession. And a lot of people use it wrongly. And there are people who go to confession and they think, oh, well, you know, whatever. I'll just say whatever. No, it's a sacrament. In the sacrament of confession, you meet Jesus Christ crucified. You meet the double-edged sword. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to get you to give up your sins. He's trying to do what God was trying to do with Adam and Eve in the garden. To admit that I have sinned and disobeyed you, Lord. I have sinned and disobeyed you. I have rebelled against you. I am so sorry. Before you go into that confessional next time, Take five minutes to look at the crucifix and in silence, let it penetrate into your body, soul, and spirit what he has done for you. The eternal high priest in his arms stretch out in the motion of a priest offering himself the true sacrifice. I love you. I shed my blood as if you were the only one. I died for you. And then when you go into that confessional, see Jesus crucified and see him lift his hand dripping with blood. If you are truly sorry for your sins to say, I absolve you. That's why the priest says, I absolve you because he's not acting as a man. He's acting in persona Christi Capita. Jesus Christ, the head, the one high priest acts to forgive your sins in the sacrament of confession. Don't hide things from him. He knows it all already. It's only we in our pride who try to hide from God. That's what Adam and Eve did. That's what Jonah did. That's what a lot of people have done throughout the ages. And there are people in hell because of it. I remember Father Basil Noltz told a, a, a true story. There was a young man in seminary, appeared very pious to everyone, seemed like a very holy young man. He died. And all they were, they were praying for his soul to go to heaven. They're praying for his soul to be released soon from purgatory and get to heaven. And he was allowed to appear to the superiors at the seminary to say, don't bother. I deliberately concealed a mortal sin in, in confession. And I am in hell for all eternity. And yes, hell is eternal. It won't be emptied. It is eternal. Jesus made that very clear in the gospel. Yeah. The word of God, the logos, the eternal logos, verbum dei, the second person of the blessed trinity, and his spoken word are a two-edged sword that are living and effective. Are we willing to bear our necks to him to say, yes, Lord, make me a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. And when he does this, 
We don't lose our identity. We don't lose our human life. We still have to live, as St. Paul said, I live now, not I, but Christ lives in me. I still have to live my human life on this earth, but it is a life of faith in the Son of God. And so we want to live a life of faith and union, union with the Son of God. And this is that, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, nor the heart of man conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. That union with God here on earth, the saints who have experienced that union with God will go through any suffering. They have so fallen in love with God that nothing can separate them from the love of God. And we need to pray for that grace. We need to allow the word of God to be living and effective in us, to separate us from those things that keep us from following God freely and fully. Go to confession. Spend time with our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Pray every day. Read the scriptures every day. Go to Mass daily if you can. Have a relationship with your guarding angel, your patron saints, and most especially with our Lord, Jesus Christ, and his Father and the Holy Spirit. God is God and we are not. But he wants to share his life with us. And he can only do that if we say yes to him. Say yes to the Lord today. And every day renew that yes. And walk in the light of his truth. And allow his word, that double-edged sword, to free us from everything of this earth that's keeping us from following him. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this with your friends and family. Thank you for the radio stations that pick us up and all those who listen to us on the app, on Rumble, on YouTube, on Facebook. I guess we're not on YouTube anymore, but Facebook or wherever we are and on virtualpostpowerfulradio.org.